If you would, you can stay seated. If you have your Bibles, and we got some technology up in here. But we're going to make a confession of faith and then get into the Word. If you will repeat after me. This is my Bible. The book of my life. I am who it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I will be taught the indestructible, incorruptible, life-giving, life-changing, mountain-moving, devil-chasing, word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert. My eyes are open. My ears are open. My heart is open to receive the precious seed of the word. I will never be the same. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name. Proverbs chapter 14. Verse number four. Proverbs chapter 14, verse number four. That's where the subject is going to come from. You have your Bibles and you get there signified by saying amen. amen. Okay, verse number four, Proverbs chapter 14. It says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. The Lord gave me a subject to deal with today that's going to come in the form of a question. And the question is, how strong is your ox? That's what we're going to talk about. How strong is your ox? Because when you look at this verse, it says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. So how many of you in here today can stand some increase? I mean, if you got it all together, then I'm not talking to you. But for those of us that don't, and I believe it's everybody in the sanctuary, how many of you can stand some increase? Whether financial, we can stand some increase. Whether physical, we can stand some increase. Whether emotional, we can stand some increase. Whether relational, we can stand some increase. And do you know that our God is a God of increase? Psalms 115. Hold your spot there in Proverbs chapter 14. Let's look at Psalms 115. And we're going to look at verse number 12. It says, the Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. 
He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. Watch this. It says, the Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. So our God is a God of increase. He has increase on his mind. And I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul said, I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. He says, neither he that plants anything nor he that waters, but God that gives the increase. So our God is a God of increase. Now let's go back to Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 4, and try to work with the scripture. Because I'm telling you, it's pregnant with me. So again, the writer says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. So to tap into this increase that the Bible is talking about, to me, two questions have to be answered. Number one, what is an ox? And secondly, where does his strength lie? If we can answer those two questions, then we can tap into the increase. And the thing with this increase is let God do it the way he wants to do it. Because you might be looking for money and God knows that you need healing. The doctor say, I see a spot on the x-ray. You go in for a routine checkup and he says, I see a spot on the x-ray. See, you don't need money when you got a report of cancer. You need healing. And so God wants to increase us, church. And that's what my goal is today as we unpack the scripture is to answer those questions. Number one, what is an ox? And secondly, where does his strength lie? So the writer of the book of Proverbs is Solomon. As a matter of fact, let's go to chapter one. Let's establish something real quick. And I'm thankful to God that I'm in a teaching church. Because oftentimes folks say, I won't preach it. You know, I want to be made to feel good. Well, what happens when your emotions wear off? What do you stand on when you come back down? See, once you get saved... You don't need preaching then. You preach to the unsaved, but you teach the saved. You need the word explain now rather than proclaim. So, so let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 1. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. It says, to know Wisdom. 
and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. But notice he says, the Proverbs are to know wisdom. And so wisdom says, if you listen to me, then you won't have to experience the thing. The world says that experience is the greatest teacher. Well, how many of you know that's not true? Why do you have to experience the thing to get the lesson? It's just like saying knowledge is power. That's not true either. It's the application of knowledge that's power. Because if you don't apply what you know, then it's just information and the world is full of a bunch of educated fools. But notice it says to know wisdom. See, knowledge is focused on what? Understanding is focused on why, but wisdom is focused on how. And when you think about your grandmother, some folks say granny, some people say big mama, some people say mother, some people say nana, Whatever you call your grandmother, that's, that's, that's between you and your grandmother. But grandma say, baby, don't touch the stove because it's hot. But guess what we do? We touch it and we get burned. Why? When she said, don't touch it, baby, because it's hot. Either she's been burned herself or she knows somebody else that's been burned. And so she's trying to spare you the experience by giving you the wisdom in what she said. That's what we need to do when we study this word is to get the wisdom out of the word. Because it's ordinary people just like us that dealt with anger, that dealt with jealousy, that dealt with envy, that, that, I mean, just committed adultery and all kind of stuff. And if we study their lives for the wisdom, then we don't have to experience what they did. So Solomon says to know wisdom and instruction to perceive the words of understanding. Verse five, I'm gonna drop down there. It says, a wise man will hear and will increase learning. Notice, a wise man will hear. Not just listen, but a wise man will hear. See, we listen with these, our ears, but we hear with our heart. Because when you look at here in this verse, it's an attention with the application of obedience. See, God said be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. But he says a wise man will hear and will increase in learning and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. So let's go back to chapter 14 and work with this verse. Everybody okay? All right. 
again. And I want this to sink deep in your spirit. That's why I keep reading it over and over and over again. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So he says again, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. In other words, the, the, the manger or the feeding trough is empty where no oxen are. And let me just define this word oxen. In the Hebrew, it's the word eleph. And it's defined as a family from the sense of yoking or taming. And at the root, it's the word aloft, and it means to associate with, hence to learn, causatively, to teach or to utter. So it's more to this ox than what you think. Because, you know, when you look at Webster, Webster defines this ox basically as a bovine mammal. That's what Webster does. But it's so much more than that. And I don't want to do a disservice to the text, but as you'll see, when we get there, God got something special in mind when it comes to this ox. And so he says again, where no oxen are, the crib is clean. But much increase is by the strength of the ox. Now do me a favor, let's go over to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25. And I got a question for you when I turn over there. Is this a cemetery or a sanctuary? Because <laughs> I'm telling you, I, it's like I can hear a mouse walk on cotton up in here, EBC. <laughs> And my pastor said, anything that's dead needs to be buried or resurrected. So am I talking to some folk that's alive? I mean, I don't need no response from you, but I'm just trying to make sure I'm not talking to a dial tone. So Deuteronomy 25. Look at what it says. If there be a controversy between men and they come unto judgment that the judges may judge them then they shall justify the righteous and condemn the wicked and that's right because if you do wrong you need to be dealt with it says and it shall be if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten that the judge shall cause him to lie down and to be beaten before his face according to his fault by a certain number. It says 40 stripes he may give him, talking about this guy, and not exceed. And so normally in the Jewish culture, they gave 39 stripes so that they didn't exceed going over 40, just to be saved. So he says again in verse 3, 40 stripes he may give him and not exceed, lest if he should exceed and beat him above with many stripes, then thy brother should seem vile unto thee. Verse 4 says, 
thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. And verse 5 says, if brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. You might be saying, what in the world is that about? And I didn't want to stop at verse 4. I wanted to go to verse 5, and I did it on purpose. So you're dealing with basically a civil matter here between two guys, a righteous man and a wicked man. And it goes before the judge, and they say, you're supposed to whip or beat the one that's wicked. And then the other Verse after that, verse 5 talks about if a guy's married and then he dies, his brother is to redeem him in order to keep his seed alive. But verse 4 is talking about ox. I mean, maybe it's just me, but it looked like that scripture is completely out of place. Looked like it's dislocated, doesn't it? How do you go from talking about, you know, people and then an ox? But it says, thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. Now we're getting close to answering the first question about where his strength lies. Verse 4, it says, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. We grew up in a neighborhood called Jack's Quarters. Anybody familiar with the hood? I'm telling you, we, we were in the hood, y'all, and we had a dog named Head, a, a pit bull, and Head was something else. And guess what his daddy's name was? I'm talking about the dog. <laughs> guess what his daddy's name was? Chubby. And guess what his mother's name was? Sugar. He came from a high pedigree, a, a good bloodline. And, you know, one thing about pit bulls, they are very protected. They don't play. And so it was times when, you know, some of the neighborhood children, if they would kind of, you know, act like they were going to do something else or whatever, head would bite them. So much so until my daddy had to put a muzzle on his mouth to stop him from biting folk. So look at this with that understanding. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. So 
So in other words, when the ox is working, the ox got a right to eat. If he can work the ground for you, then he's got a right to eat. Because when he eats, he gets stronger. When he eats, he gets stronger. When he eats, he gets stronger. The stronger he gets, the harder he works. The stronger he gets, the harder he works. You saying, man, what are you talking about preaching? Stay with me. We're going somewhere. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Try to deal with this other question. And y'all, I'm going to tell you something. I got up here, pulled out notes, and pulled out the wrong ones. (laughs) I've been standing up here just sharing out of my spirit, y'all. But the thing is, that's how God is. God is not going to be boxed in. I looked down, I was like, man, what in the world? The sufferings and glory, that that is not the subject. (laughs) Okay. So, chapter 9, 1 Corinthians, verse number 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are ye not my work in the Lord? Are not ye my work in the Lord? Now, I'm going to go to chapter 1, verse 1. Let's see who he's talking to. Let's see who he's talking to. Who is this person that's writing? Verse number 1 of chapter 1. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother. Notice, called to be an apostle through the will of God. In other words, he was not self-made. He was not man-made. He was God-made. You know, Jesus had 12, and Judas hanged himself. And then they cast lots and chose Matthias because they say somebody's got to take his place and be part of this apostolic ministry. Well, guess what? When you look at that, you would have 11 chosen by God and one chosen by man. So when you read the book of Acts, you never see Matthias nowhere else on the page of the scripture. And then this one by the name of Saul, who has a Damascus Road experience on his way to persecute Christians right there when Stephen was stoned. And he has this experience on this Damascus Road. He's blinded. And he hears a voice say, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. 
it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. So he has this experience. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about one born out of due season. So he's the replacement apostle. The rest of them are man-made or self-made. I'm not going to fight with you this morning. That's the truth. (laughs) So he says, again, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. So he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers, those that have been called out of darkness into the light, the ecclesia. He's called them out. He says, to them that are sanctified or set apart in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, not cowboys, but saints, (laughs) with all that are in every place, call upon the name of Jesus Christ. You know, only the saints going to go to heaven. That's what my pastor said. Now, it'll be some horses in heaven, you know, kind of ease your your burden there, but hey, you got to be a saint to go to heaven. So, 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 So he says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, go back to chapter nine. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth. How did Paul encounter this church? Well, He was doing the work of ministry, just moving about, sharing the gospel. And everywhere he went, it was either a revival or it was a riot. I'm I'm serious. Either a revival or a riot. And so he ended up in a place called Berea, preaching the gospel a riot broke out. Then he went to Athens, preaching the gospel, a riot broke out. Then he ended up in Corinth and he spent 18 months in Corinth laboring in the Bible. And so when you look at the time that he spent with them, it's amazing that they would even question his credentials. But see, as gifted as they were, they were carnal at the same time. Speaking in tongues. I'm talking about flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, but to cuss you out too. <laughs> Immoral folk, wicked folk. I'm talking about the church at court. If you just read the scripture, you'll find that they were taking each other to court. Guy slept with his father's wife. And I'm telling you, man, they they had divisions. They wanted to hear certain preachers. They said, one said, I'm of Paul. Another said, I'm of Apollos. God's not in there. So these are the folk that are questioning him. And so as as we look at verse 1 again, he says, am I not an apostle? In other words, am I not sent? Have I not been sent? He says, am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? And we established that, yes, 
he saw the Lord on the Damascus road when he had that experience. He says, are not ye my work in the Lord? In other words, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I shared the gospel with you. I talked about how Jesus died, how he was buried, and the third day he rose again. I shared with you how he was beaten beyond human recognition just for you, how he had no sin. He knew no sin. He did no sin, but he was made to be sin for you that you might be made the righteousness of God in him. He labored in the gospel. So he says, are you not my work in the Lord? Look at what God has done in your life and you want to question me? So he says in verse number two, if I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal or the mark of my apostleship are you in the Lord. He says, my answer to them that do examine me or scrutinize or investigate or interrogate me is this. See, first of all, you don't need to be examining me. You need to examine yourself. That's where we get in trouble at. You're quick to judge other folk and don't realize that when you point a finger at somebody, it's more pointing back at you. First of all, I think it was a song, Charles. I think it was a song, Charles, that said something about, y'all help me out. I hadn't always been saved, but <laughs> seemed like, didn't it say something about, you know, before you do something to me, sweep something under your own door? <laughs> who, who was it, that Lulu? <laughs> who said that? The William, oh, that was all them saved folks. <laughs> Jesus said, before you try to get the mote out your brother's eye, deal with the beam that's in your own eye. See, if you get that beam out your eye, then you can see clearly to deal with the mote that's in your brother's eye. So he said, my answer, verse 3, to them that do examine me is this. This is my answer. Have we not power to eat and to drink? Have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas? He said, look, Peter had a wife. He had a wife. You mean to tell me Peter can be married, but we can't be married? Peter can eat, but we can't eat? Verse 6. Or I only... And Barnabas 
have we not power to forbear working? See, Paul was a tent maker. If you go to Acts 18, somewhere around verse 3, you'll find that he was a tent maker with Aquila and Priscilla. He worked. And just because he worked didn't mean that he didn't have power to be supported. It's going to get tight in here in a little bit, but y'all don't know about to try me. That's a joke, (laughs) y'all. So he said in verse 7, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? Now I've been to combat when I was in the army. Who? That's right. Thank you. See, 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 warfare here speaks of being a soldier, not an airman. I see you back there, Kelvin Bowen. Hey, I thought about you when I was preparing. This is especially for you. Not a marine, jarhead. What they call them folk in the navy? What they call? What, what they call them? I don't even know what they call the folk in the navy. Yeah. What, what? What is? Is it a midshipman? Sailor? Squid. I thought that was the thing on SpongeBob. Let's, let's, let's get back to the word. So verse 7 says, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges? When I was deployed to the Gulf War, you know, we would go on alert and basically, you know, we had to have our gear always packed, be ready. But then they were standing us down. And it happened so many times until, you know, I got uh, desensitized to that. And so this last time they said, you know, pack your bags, we're getting ready to go. I was telling them guys, I said, we're not going nowhere. (laughs) We went to Altus Air Base. I was stationed in Lawton, Oklahoma. Got on that plane, flew to JFK in New York City. I said, man, they're going to turn us around. You watch, we're not going. Next thing I know, they landed in Germany. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm telling you, man, we're not going. They're going to turn around. We were over Egypt. They turned the air off on the airplane. And they said, we want to get you acclimated to the weather. And Lord knows, y'all, when they landed that plane and I got out, now I've heard of sweltering heat by the meteorologists. But it's like that heat was, it was like it was waving. 
and they were throwing us these big water bottles saying, drink these. And the water was hot. <laughs> we're sweating like a hog and everything else. But I bring that point up because when I got deployed to the Gulf War, it didn't cost me nothing. I didn't have to pay. I didn't have to provide no uniform, no boots. I didn't have to pay for no food because they called me to go. It was on the government to take care of me. The next one says, who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Do I have anybody in here that has a garden? Anybody plant? When you plant your seed, whether it's a cucumber, watermelon, mustard greens, or whatever, I need to stop that. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> but the thing is, if you work that ground and you plant that seed and God bless you with some rain outside of your water hose or whatever, when that crop comes, do you not have a right to eat of that crop? Y'all talk to me if you can. You got a right to eat. So then he says, or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? So he goes from talking about a soldier to a farmer, and now he is talking about a shepherd. So if the shepherd has sheep, does he not have a right to do with the sheep what he wants? We're getting there, y'all. Verse number eight. He says, say I these things as a man. You hear what Paul says? Do you think that this is me? Do you think this is just me talking as a mortal man? He says, or says not the law the same also. So when you see law in the scripture, that should draw your mind back to the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible called the law of Moses. And it's confirmed in the very next verse. Look what it says. For it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? Or in other words, is he not concerned about oxen? Notice. For it is written in the law of Moses. Here's the very scripture that we just read over in Deuteronomy 25 that seemed like it was out of place, like it just didn't belong where it was at. But the Holy Spirit don't make no mistakes. See, this Bible is the inspired word of God, and it's there on purpose because God wanted it there. And so he says in, in verse number nine again, for it is written in the law of Moses, thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn, doth God take care for oxen. Now look at verse number 10. Y'all look at this one real close. 
or saith he, talking about God, if you look at the previous verse, it altogether for our sakes. So Paul said, do you think it was me talking or was it God that was talking? He says, no doubt this is written that he that ploweth should plow in hope and he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. So, 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 if we deal with this thing, what was the first question that I said? We need to find out what is the notch, right? And then secondly, we need to find out where his strength lies. His strength lies in his ability to eat. But then what is an ox? Check this out. Verse 11. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing that we reap your carnal things. So I submit to you that the ox is symbolic of the ministry gift. The ox is symbolic of the pastor. And so the same way that that ox has a right to eat, the pastor has a right to eat as well. 33 years in ministry and you don't have a right to eat? Laboring in the word and doctrine and you don't have a right to eat? And Pastor Adams didn't ask me to preach this. Matter of fact, he didn't know nothing but the title. That's it. God sent me here today to give you this word. And what's amazing is I was working Brookshire Grocery Arena on Friday night. And I just engaged a young man and we just got to talking. I, you know, witnessed to him. He was saved. And so he started sharing his heart with me. And he started talking about, you know, man, these preachers, you know, this, that, and the other. And I don't think they should, should be getting no money. That's what he said. Now, I'm studying this, and he says that to me. And I'm like, wow, Lord, I hear you. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And he talks about how he goes to a, a ministry in Shreveport, visits, and how it's nice. I'm talking about it's folk all over the place. And I said, do you think that that pastor is not being taken care of? I mean, really, do you think that that ministry, and it's a big ministry in Shreveport, it is a flourishing ministry. So you think that he's not being taken care of? His eyes got big. So, so here we go. Verse number 10, or saith he it altogether for our sakes, talking about God, for our sakes, no doubt this is written. And thank God for looking out for the pastor. Because if the pastor had to de depend on folk, he'll starve to death. 
Do you know the, the Levites? You know, Abraham had Isaac. And Isaac had Jacob. And Jacob had 12 boys and one daughter between four women. <laughs> 12 boys. One of them name was Levi. And God chose Levi for himself. Out of all the tribes, he said, Levi is mine. I want them to minister unto me. They're not going to have part nor lot in the inheritance. So whatever the other 11 tribes go do, you got to tithe to make sure that Levi have what they need because I'm their inheritance. Don't tell me if God had a concern for Levi that he don't have a concern for today's pastor. And and this is the thrust of the message. This is what God wants me to share. You got pastors that are leaving ministry, y'all. They are leaving ministry. And it's a shame. Some of them are bivocational. They work on jobs and then they work in the ministry. In the same way that that ox that I keep talking about works the ground. They say that an ox is a beast of bird. They say that an ox will work to the point where he'll wear himself out. He's tireless. I mean, so much so until his heart will burst in his chest because he's not going to just start the task, he's going to finish it. And, you know, if he's working that ground, he's got a right to eat. So when you think about a pastor, The Bible said if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. Notice, work. Bible says study to show thyself approved unto God. A work man. A work man. Do you know the Bible said much study is weariness to the flesh? Verse 11 says, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? The little money that we give to pastors pales in comparison to the spiritual benefits that you get from the word. I'm telling you, it pales in comparison. Imagine if a pastor didn't have to put 40 in on a clock. Imagine that. If he had nothing but time on his hands to be able to get in the word, to be able to get into prayer, 
If, if you think what you get now is something, imagine if he had time to really get in the presence of God. So I believe God's best is not for the pastor to have to be working. Now, I'm not coming against bivocational pastors. You got to do what you got to do. But God's best, I believe, is for him to be full time. Just like in a marriage relationship. God gave Adam the job before he had Eve. He was working. And I think God's best is not to have two folk working. I think his best is for the man to go out and provide and the wife to take care of the home. I'm not being critical of two people working. You do whatever you got to do to make it. But I'm talking about his best is to be able to have enough provision coming in through the husband so the wife can just take care of the home. Same way with the ministry. Pastors shouldn't have to be worrying about where their next meal is going to come from. You didn't think you were going to hear something like this on the 33rd honorarium, did you? I know you're saying, that's Pastor Adams. I mean, I'm going through H-E double hockey stick in my life. I need a word for me. The word for you is tied to your pastor's strength. And I know that we got an ox in this house. It's an ox in this house. Look around at you and tell me if it's not an ox in this house. Some of you are doing better than you have in your whole life. Think about where God has brought you from. Did you even know what faith was before you got into the ministry and got up under the teaching? Did you even understand that if I don't forgive, then God won't forgive me? See, man, folks want to meet these celebrities and all that, but nobody is like a pastor. That's a gift to you. And we need to cherish the gifts that God has given us. (laughs) Ephesians chapter number four, quickly. The uh, the team, I know y'all already there. Ephesians four, verse 11. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. What office? Watch this. For the perfecting of the saints. You can't even be equipped with what you need without a pastor, without an ox. It says, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. You cannot even grow without a pastor. God said, I'll give you pastors after my own heart 
that shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And I know he was talking to Israel, but the same thing applies to us today. Everything God is doing is through the local church. And whatever you need is in this house. Why do you think the Bible said forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is? When this place is open, it ought to be full. Remember when I talked about preparing a gourmet meal? That's my aunt right there, y'all, Brenda, Lulu, that's my aunt. Can you imagine preparing a gourmet meal for Donnell? That's my uncle. And I'm talking about you slaving in the kitchen. You, you sweating and all that and did dessert and everything and he don't even show up to eat? Imagine how much time the pastor... I'm not talking about a hireling, y'all. I'm talking about a pastor. I'm, first, first Timothy, last scripture. First Timothy. First Timothy. Chapter number five. 1 Timothy chapter five, verse number 17. It says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they that labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture said, hear that scripture is again talking about muzzling the mouth of the eyes. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that, tr- when I'm talking about a pastor that labors in the word and doctrine. Man, it's a, it's a blessing. It's a gift from God. I mean, we sit up on our pastor, Anderson, and myself, my brother Everett, ministers, uh, Minister English, we are sitting up like, man, even though we're not in semin- semin- sem- seminary, I almost said cemetery, <laughs> seminary, it's almost like we got a walking commentary in front of us. And so the labor that he's put in, we benefit from that labor. So my time is out, and I thank you for yours. But here's the thing. This this is what God wants to say to you. God has given you a gift, and I'm talking about its major. It's an ox. God has given you an ox. And we don't need to wear the ox out. We don't need to wear them out. You got to cherish what God has given you. Because have you ever thought about what if what if he's not around? Then what? I have become a better person. Because I sat upon the ox at Greater New Zion. Better husband, better father, better employee, better citizen because of the labor there. And Pastor Adams is as deep as that. 
When I tell you I've listened to him teach the word, and if you tell me your life has not changed as a result of the labor and word and doctrine in this ministry, I tell you, you're not telling the truth. You're not tell- you're lying, as they say. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the message that the Lord gave me. How strong is your ox? Very strong. Very strong. Everything you need is here at EBC.